Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's Spatial Perspectives. I'm Dan Quee, your host, and this week I have a really interesting guest, Stan Karpenko of GiveVision, and he is the founder and CTO of the company, and we've known each other quite a long time. So welcome, Stan. How are you today? Thank you for having me, Dan. It's, it's great. It's great to uh, chat again. It's a great pleasure to be on your show. Yeah, yeah. So, so you know, I, I've always looked at your product, and I've always felt that it's a great product for those in, you know, that are visually impaired, uh, offers a great, great way for people to get back to normal life. So why don't you tell us about the company and what you've been doing and, and that sort of thing? Sure. No, it's a pleasure. And if, you know, we, we know each other for quite a number of years now, and you probably right. can see we came quite a long way since the first iteration of the product that we used, one of the products that you helped us to provide. Uh, at the time when we started the company, we were working on computer vision recognizing objects and describing them to visually impaired or blind people. Uh, that was the original concept. And I think uh, we never had an idea uh, for what the company should be. We sort of had a challenge to solve, to really make lives of visually impaired people better. And that challenge would drive the innovation and applications that we've developed. So now probably uh, the most advanced uh, technology that we've done was Sight Plus, which was essentially a wearable uh, vision aid or sight enhancement tool. And if you, if you like, in the most layman terms, uh, the way that people with impaired hearing need a hearing aid, which is enhances their remaining hearing, this enhances the remaining vision that patients have. So they're not completely blind, they would see a little bit, and uh, this technology would help them to enlarge, enhance, increase the sharpness of objects they're looking for so that they can bring and perceive what they're looking at. Yeah, let's let's show a, a quick video of of uh, the result of the first generation device, and now obviously that's it's been years since you released that. But um, let's give the audience a, an idea of how well it was received. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. About six years ago, at the age of sixteen, Maisie was diagnosed with a brain tumor. Over the next few months, her vision was reduced to a tiny, blurry circle in her right eye. Well, Maisie had agreed to try, on stage, the latest version of these Give Vision goggles. They use magnifiers and augmented reality to amplify the wearer's remaining vision and highlight outlines. So, uh, Maisie, are they working? Yeah, I can see your microphone and I can see that you're smiling and I can see the buttons on your shirt. What? Can we have the house lights up, maybe? Um, take a look at the audience and see. Can you can you see them all? Yeah, they're waving. <laughs> <laughs> How? Um, I can see there's a lady in the front with a red jacket. The guy next to her is wearing stripes. Oh my god, it's so amazing. <laughs> okay. I mean, that's just truly amazing. I mean, you know, what you did to that young lady for her life, I mean, she'll never forget it. Um, you know, it's just amazing. Thanks, Dan. And, and I think that was the core thing at, at what we were trying to create is the products that will change people's lives and really be useful. Something that will delight them, but also hopefully provide deeper impact, allow them to do things that they couldn't otherwise do. Um, and, and I'm really proud to say that, you know, 
Uh, Maisie was not the first uh, person to try this. Uh, there were a lot of patients who, in the United Kingdom, across the world actually, who tried this technology. And uh, what we have today is a direct result of us working really closely with these patients and listening to their feedback and getting their input. Um, so as I said, we never thought this will be the end solution, but for iteration and working with those patients, they guided us to the solution. So um, uh, yeah, thank you. It's, uh, we're, we're, very, we're very pleased as well. Yeah, and that was, you know, given the, the time frame, that was what, almost eight years ago? Right. You, you, yeah, let, me, uh, let me correct that. So I think um, the very first time when we started with computer vision, just recognizing and describing audio, that was 2015. Uh, so the first iteration of this was in 2016, when a patient tried it and they said, can I take it home? That was the very first moment that someone took this thing home. Um, and since 2016, this then became a medical device. We got certified with the CE mark. Uh, we, um, we, we've got clinical trials for 2018, 2019. It's been quite a journey. Um, it's, as you can imagine, with non-consumer devices, it takes a bit longer to take them to market. But yeah, it's been good five years of work. Yeah, and that five years of work, uh, I mean, you've, there's been no grass growing under your feet. You guys have been working on a new product, and I'm just going to pop up a, a little picture of what that new product looks like, and I believe you're looking for funding to move that into, into the next uh, production development phase, but uh, why don't you come on on this one for a second? Yeah, I think, um, as you saw from the, um, from the device that um, Maisie was wearing, that was essentially a... Uh, cheaper way to demonstrate feasibility of technology. So uh, it was a near eye display with a camera that could enhance the world around the patient that's trying to look at something. And I think the goal is to, can we take that same field of view and that same quality of image and make it smaller? Because we were just using a smartphone in VR because it was uh, much easier to put that together than uh, develop a device from scratch. But once we validated this, the next logical step was for us to move it further and make it smaller. The challenge, I think, uh, which is, which, I mean, I prefer, and you remember us working uh, on this together uh, when I approached you um, previously, was can we take something that exists in the market so we don't have to reinvent the wheel, we don't have to make something from scratch. Right. But the difficulty is that for our patients, they, they need a really big field of view, an almost VR-like field of view, because they have so little central vision left, or none at all. Uh, the consumer-grade glasses that you saw I'm going to use Google Glass as an example, but there's a ton of them that have a tiny field of view, central, side, uh, central field of view, would probably be insufficient. And that's the challenge. How do we take big field of view and really stretch it into a smaller form factor? And there's been quite a few companies pioneering that now. And again, we are not intending to design technologies to make that happen. We're just looking for best solutions to put it together in the smallest package possible. Yeah, I remember some of the earlier uh, days of low vision devices. They were pretty large, very expensive. And I remember talking to one patient at one uh, VR AR conference that we attended. And that patient was telling me that, you know, they just couldn't even think about using that technology or, or buying it because of the, of the cost constraints. So um, I know that you guys uh, have come a long way and there's probably a lot of patients out there waiting to get their hands on it. Yes, and I think you know it's 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 interesting you mentioned that uh, the the technology did uh, really advance a lot, and we can have a lot smaller displays and smaller cameras, and batteries don't have to be as big uh, to to power all that system. Um, having said that, the um, the fundamental physics of making an optics that would make it super small haven't changed. 
And we don't see on the horizon to uh, have something like from a futuristic movie that is almost looks like a pair of, pair, pair, pair of prescription glasses. It's still going to be, um, uh, definitely, it will be, it, it will be evident that it's not a pair of shades. And I think um, our surprise to this, when we even tried with this smartphone and the VR that you saw in the video, was that people were still willing to wear it. And, and I think the key thing is if it provides a lot of value for the person um, in their day-to-day -day life, if it allows them to do something that they couldn't have done uh, otherwise, if they haven't done a task like seeing their grandchildren for the last five, 10 years, if they couldn't read, if they couldn't watch television, uh, if this restores that independence, they will be willing to uh, give up some of that comfort, to give up some of that inconvenience in, 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 in return and the new gain freedom. So that was surprising to us. And, and uh, again, as you saw in the video with Maisie, uh, that's in the reaction we get quite a lot. People at first thought, ooh, this is a bit big. When they try it, they're absolutely blown away. Yeah, now you're not just the product company. You spent a lot of time talking with, with uh, the medical world, uh, doing, working with uh, people doing clinical trials. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Uh, yeah. I think um, the real opportunity, um, and, I, and I think this is how I think about di digital technology um, now, especially in post-COVID world, is um, there is an enormous value in us all, uh, in, in us being able to track patients' health uh, remotely from the comfort of their home. Um, that you probably have seen quite a revolution since the last time you 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 know we spoke in in the right. world of smartwatch. Yes. Uh, smartwatch, something that we wear in our, in our wrist, and it can have enormous power in, in maybe detecting early onset of some uh, uh, heart disease uh, or, or as an digital biomarker for something else. So uh, just imagine if we can get that from the wrist, what we can get from having pa patients to wear something on their face uh, for at least an hour every day. Um, so we've done a lot of uh, work with um, in the pharmaceutical world, uh, working with, with doctors and healthcare systems to really see can we allow at least for ophthalmology for people living with such conditions to continuously track the, their, their, their health of their eyes? Can we track deterioration of their sight over time, progression of their diseases? And um, that is an enormous problem. A lot of people don't think about that because they don't live with, with a condition that requires constant monitoring, but in situations when you need, we're on therapy, when you're taking a drug and you need to know when to take it next and, and that dosage and that timing is critical, for your outcomes, as a, uh, but also for, for the costs, uh, it's super valuable. So what we've done, we've developed a way to monitor disease progression for ophthalmology first. So Stan, so what is your go-to-market strategy? Uh, are you selling directly to uh, consumers or, or, uh, or doctors, or what are you going to do? Uh, we, we still have a lot of patients approaching us directly to try and take part in clinical trials, to try the device, uh, maybe even purchase a, a prototype. Um, but our view for the long-term future, we're going to be a uh, sort of over, um, we, we're going to serve as a uh, remote monitoring platform, uh, sort of disease progression uh, uh, monitoring system for healthcare systems or pharmaceutical companies, helping them to monitor their patients and inform uh, their dosing decision or, or uh, just really informing the, the clinicians of the best um, of the best way to, to provide care for those patients. Um, that way we can really uh, reach as many patients as possible. That's sort of our, our um, th that's how we work going forward. Um, and I think if you, if you stay at this for a long enough period of time, 
there's enormous value generated from the data that you collect about the patient's health because you're not getting a snapshot of how that patient is feeling today. You're getting a longitudinal view of the disease progression and how the patient reacts to the particular drug or particular therapy over the course of years. And that will fundamentally change how we discover new drugs, how we personalize the treatments. Um, this is going to be one of the most crucial factors in enabling us to speed up drug development and, and improving the quality of care. Um, so, so you have not just the hardware product, but you have a services product that's attached to, to the glasses that will allow the clinicians the ability to actually monitor their patient and provide a new treatment um, regimes for that patient uh, based on what they see happening uh, on a daily basis. Absolutely. And I think the data becomes the key part. Uh, I think the, the hardware becomes irrelevant over time. Uh, it will become a commodity. The real insights and the real values in the data, um, can we um, effectively collect the healthcare um, data about the patient over a long period of time to make clinical decisions? Can we at some point arrive at the uh, at a point in time where we don't really have to get patient to call in for the doctor when they can feel the symptoms? Can we pick up the symptoms before they can feel them? Um, so the entire sort of changing the, the, the care pathway is really what we're seeing the, the, um, as the biggest opportunity uh, facing the AR and VR world. I, I think in reality, there's enormous opportunity for AR and VR companies to develop products that will, just the same as smartwatch, became just a vehicle to collect healthcare data for the benefit of the patient so that those devices will be used for entertainment or in our, in our case, as an enabler for them to do things. Um, uh, but uh, as, a, as a byproduct of that, they will be able to monitor patients and, and inform the doctor when they need to see the patient before it's too late. So thinking about pre, uh, preventative medicine, if you like. Yeah, but the ability for physicians and uh, clinicians to understand your medical history, I think, is going to be very important. The use case uh, of how you use this AR and VR or extended reality, whatever the flavor is that you want to call it these days, is more important than the actual device itself. I agree 100% with you on that. And I think, you know, this, this, beg this begs the question why we didn't have that yet. Uh, we had, you know, Google Glass. Uh, we had quite a few other companies working in AR, uh, VR, VR space. And, and I think there's a bit of a myth um, that some people uh, seem, to, um, uh, seem to believe in that Google Glass failed because it was ugly or, or because you look like dork wearing it. And, and I think um, it's very similar to smartwatches. If, if the device is not only costing you money, it's costing you a lot of energy to maintain, you can charge it and worry about it. So this whole inconvenience had to be outweighed by the benefit that it provides you. And I feel lots of AR companies have not found a use case that would get people addicted the way we can be addicted to our smartphone, the way we can be addicted to our smartwatch, to really want to wear it every day. Once we overcome that issue and we find, excuse me, use cases uh, that uh, get people to want to wear it, not for the health benefit, but just, you know, as I said, entertainment or something else. Um, like in our case, uh, the device is enormously addictive. People are wearing it um, for at least um, 90 minutes every single day for years because they need it. It's not a good to have, it's a must have. Um, and I think that's where we will have a revolution in healthcare. Lots of more people will be wearing these devices. We will be using the data for the benefit of discovering new drugs or providing better healthcare to them. But it's not the technology of sensors that needs to advance. We're already there. We can already track and monitor patients extremely well. 
it's the utility that we need to invent, something that to motivate the person. Um, and people are different, you know, 75-year-old grandmother, you know, 15-year-old child to wear something all day long or at least an hour. I think that's the, and that's the challenge, not for scientists uh, only, but also for product designers, uh, entrepreneurs, people who have a vision. Uh, how can they make something super useful, interesting? So yeah, uh, yeah. absolutely. I mean, it, when people can understand how they'll put it to use and they use it that way, I mean, look at the cell phone. Um, the cell phone has become part of, you, you know, your life. You can't separate yourself from that. And the same thing will happen with these other devices that, that we have uh, being offered to us by technologists. So what's the future hold for you guys? Well, I think COVID-19 highlighted the need uh, for a remote patient monitoring. The, the, there used to be an understanding that it was good to, that's a good problem to solve one day, and now it's a huge pull from the pharmaceutical industry, from the healthcare providers. They realized that um, in the post-COVID world, there will be periods of time when it's too dangerous for us to get a patient out of their home to get a test or you know, to, for an assessment. And it's cheaper for us to provide remote care, significantly cheaper than it is for us to fill up the, the, the hospitals with patients. Um, so for us, the, it looks, um, um, I suppose, quite, you know, sadly because of the COVID situation is not a positive uh, event in the history. Uh, for us, this was a push in both motivation, but also in terms of the market pool to progress in the whole remote monitoring space faster. There's a lot of more companies interested in that technology, and we will be uh, uh, deploying um, first in the ophthalmology space, but also branching out into other comorbidities, really seeing if we can detect other comorbidities, if we can uh, pick up the early onset of other conditions, and hopefully help to prevent them. Uh, and that's sort of the, the future for us. We will stay in the wearable space, and I hope we won't be always have to develop our own hardware. We will be companies that'll step in and offer fantastic solutions with well fields of view, uh, and everyone will benefit. Well, this is great, Stan. I mean, when we first met and we first started talking about this, I, I love the fact that you guys were actually building products to improve the human condition. I mean, so much technology today uh, is, is, is put aside for gaming and that sort of thing. And here you're doing something really beneficial. I wish you guys the best of luck and anything I can do to help you, I'd be more than happy to do that. Um, so I want to thank you for coming on the show this week. I, I hope our viewers will get a lot out of this. Um, any, any other comments you want to make before we go? No, it's, um, I guess everyone can get in touch with us by going to givevision.net. Uh, we happy to collaborate. We're looking for, for people that need our help and we exist to solve problems. So uh, yeah, happy to hear from you. Thank you, Stan. I, I really appreciate, appreciate you taking the time uh, this week to uh, join us and we'll look forward to talking to you soon. Bye-bye. Thank you.